With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan on Washet, Nate Klaus. Guys, um, I don't know, it, it just has this feel as we sit here uh, as the count Memorial Day weekend. By the way, it doesn't even feel like it's hard to believe we are at Memorial Day weekend, um, which usually is one of my favorite holidays because you're at the pool having some barbecue and a few brewskis. Um, but a big vote obviously took place this week, and we're going to learn more Friday after the SEC. But June 1st, um, you know, a lot of people in the college football Power Five world are, are moving forward with this June 1st narrative that uh, organized workouts can begin. And, and really, this is the first step. I mean, I think if you can successfully get the Power Five to all begin organized team activities by June 1, following state guidelines, meaning groups of 10, when they can be grown to 15, 20, whatever, uh, but follow the state guidelines, um, you know, I, I think this will pave the way uh, to at least getting a season that might start on time. Uh, we don't know about the fan situation. That's a whole other argument. Um, but at least the, the football portion of it, um, if they can start this up June 1, um, it will be very interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's about as good of a time frame as you could possibly ask for, all things considered. The fact that um, that is ample opportunity for teams to not only play, but get ready to actually have a quality product where guys are actually practicing together and um, you know becoming a, a team once again after an extended layoff. And um, you know, obviously there's a lot of layers involved here, even just from a state-to-state -state basis, but the more and more schools you see publicly uh, commit to planning on opening, you know, if not June 1st, but the first week of June, um, that is building optimism by the day. I mean, Ohio State's coming out and saying we're starting June 8th. Miami and Notre Dame are saying we fully plan on playing football this season. Uh, you know, Michigan, Jim Harbaugh said we've never even thought about not playing football this year. Uh, the SEC obviously has been uh, pioneers, so to speak, in leading the charge back to football. So uh, that is uh, some pretty substantial players in the college football universe that all seem to be on the same page that – Football is going to happen, but now the issue is what will it look like in 2020? I mean, as far as not only fans, but, you know, adjusted schedules and uh, travel issues. And so there's a lot of layers to it. But like you said, getting that first step of getting teams back together on campuses, working out uh, is critical and actually getting the ball rolling. Yeah, I think this whole thing is, you know, in terms of the process of making making it back and getting back at it, I think it's just a kind of a follow the leader type of deal. I think it, it's going to be kind of a domino effect where one conference, one, you know, couple major teams, couple you know, major conferences go ahead and say, yep, we're coming back. This is how it's going to look. Um, and then everyone else is going to kind of fall in line and, and follow the leader. And then they'll get to the fans and, you know, okay, this is what it's going to look like in the fall. This is how we're going to operate. And this is the protocol. And then I think everyone else will kind of get in line. So this is the first step and kind of getting back to normal. And, um, you know, I've, I know I've talked with some of the incoming uh, recruits that signed here with, with Nebraska, and, and they're all supposed to be coming in uh, and being in Lincoln between the 26th and June 1st. And so, um, you know, I, I think that that's that's kind of fallen in line with what we're hearing uh, across the country, really. And by doing that, it, it allows you, Nate, to um, have those guys have a few days of acclimation and then they could start June 1 um, right away. And, you know, the first day technically of the five week summer session, which is all online this year, is June 8th. Um, so there's there would be a whole week essentially before the five week session starts, which it's kind of irrelevant this year because there won't be any classroom mm -hmm. Um, things going on but we saw some other things this week of interest too. Notre Dame um, announced that they're going to start their semester two weeks earlier so then they can end the semester on Thanksgiving week 
which, I mean, honestly, of all the things I've seen um, that are way far in advance done, that one did make sense to me. I'm like, you know what? What's the hurt of starting your semester two weeks earlier in August? I don't see any real downside to that. Um, we don't even know, though, what it would be like in November, but they're, they're just assuming or kind of playing their cards that direction. Right, and I think it's just schools being prepared for literally anything. And um, it's funny because there's you know, Notre Dame is one, but there's been a few schools that have thrown out the idea of um, you know, basically having a condensed fall semester and then shutting down to uh, exclusively online classes for the winter. My question is, what does that do to winter sports, particularly college basketball? I mean, does that change the schedule for college basketball? Would it? I mean, if they're going the rest of the school year remote, will there be a season? I mean, because right now it seems like there needs to be students on campus for them to play football. Does that still hold true with winter and spring sports? And so, I'm, you know, obviously college basketball got the brunt of it um, with the way that this thing hit back in March. Uh, will it hit him uh, on the next uh, start time around for the 2021 season? So, I mean, there's so many layers to this thing that it it's crazy to even try to project what's going to happen. Yeah, it's one giant rabbit hole. I mean, trying to predict what the academic calendar is going to look like and um, you know, <laughs> what, uh, if, if it's going to be, you know, people on campus or if it's all online or whatever, I mean, it's, it's crazy, but, um, you know, it's one step at a time. And, and I think that the good news is that, uh, you know, it's, everything's kind of trending towards slowly getting back to normal here in just a matter of weeks. And what are they looking at is what we don't know. I mean, is it the hospital systems, which net nationwide are in good shape right now? And can they continue to stay that way? Uh, because we're not going to stop the spread of this virus completely. I mean, it's gonna, people are going to get it. And I think we, we're learning more and more about who's more vulnerable, where it's happening, you know, the types of places it's happening, et cetera. And, um, you know, I, I read a stat that in the entire SEC footprint, for example, there hasn't been one death of ages 18 to 22. So um, I, I think you have to be prepared that guys are going to get it. And it's not the end of the world if you're a perfectly healthy athlete. Um, and, and what are your steps that you have to do um, to protect your team if one guy gets it? Well, and there's the also the issue of it goes beyond just the healthy 18 to 22-year-old football players. You're talking about older coaches. You're talking about the lunch lady working the training table. You're talking about the training staff. Uh, I mean, there's the, the academic counselors. I mean, there's so many people that go into – making a football team operate on the field and in the classroom uh, that I think that's kind of where all these logistical issues are coming about to where, uh, you know, yeah, uh, the player demographic probably won't be hit that hard, but there's a lot of other people that they're going to be in direct contact with that will. And then if you play football and someone gets sick and dies, you are opening yourself up for liability and lawsuits and they will be coming, uh, especially with a, a big operation like you know college football. Yeah, it's all the hundreds of people, the the support staff, and the kind of the everyone behind the scenes that that make things work that you probably have to worry more about. Um, yeah, I would not want to be um, the a college lawyer right now or, or representing yeah. universities. Well, maybe you would. Maybe you'd be raking it in. I don't know. <laughs> but but trying to you know protect your client, so to speak, right now that would be that'd be a, a tall order. I mean, I think it's almost a waiver process where people are going to have to say, "All right, if you come, yeah. Yeah. you know these are the risks have you're taking." To. Like Disney Springs, um, which is the shopping mall connected to Walt Disney World. It's an outdoor shopping mall kind of like Nebraska Crossing. Uh, they have a thing now posted there. You have to wear a mask, obviously, to shop there. Um, but by coming here, you know the risk you're taking type of thing. You acknowledge. And you are liable for this on your side of it. You were not liable if you got sick. And I think there's going to be a lot of that. And, um, you know, I, I think that's one of the things Congress and Senate are fighting for, too, is, you know, people that open businesses up and whatnot, you know, can, they're afraid to get sued. Mm -hmm. And you have to protect no that as well because – um, there's going to be a lot of people trying to probably do lawsuits over this. Nursing homes are going to get sued probably in places like New York, et cetera. And that, that is, like you said, there's a lot of money, um, you know, in, in, in that you worry about that people could could get sued over this. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, the idea of fans coming back to stadiums anytime soon, I think that's probably wishful thinking. I mean, just with that point being made that you're going to ask 90,000 people to sign a waiver to enter the stadium, which I'm sure they would. But, you know, that's. You're at, you're just asking for trouble at that point. So I think that's probably the furthest thing on the minds of uh, you know college uh, athletic administrators and conference commissioners that we're just trying to actually play the sports. And you know down the road, once this thing gets a little bit uh, settled, we'll start talking about bringing fans back. Yeah, I mean the fans are a, a huge part of college football, obviously, but I, I do think that 
um, you know, it's it'd be kind of wishful thinking to to go ahead and and plan on you know <laughs> using your tickets this fall or, or making it to every game and road game uh, this coming fall. All right, much more to come here. Uh, you're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, talking Nebraska basketball now here as it appears at least, Robin, and I say appears because you just never know um, with the way basketball rosters turn that Nebraska is done um, and have set the, they have set their roster here for this 2020-21 season. Um, your thoughts on kind of this roster with the final pieces they've added? Yeah, you never want to say never as far as roster attrition, but as as of today, uh, I do believe that they have a completed roster. And when you look at it, it's first thing that jumps out is they're old. I mean, of the scholarship players, all but four of them are juniors or seniors. And so that in itself makes this a different type of team than we're used to seeing where um, the amount of attrition and uh, you know roster turnover actually made them an older, more veteran team. So uh, that, I think, is a bit of a luxury to work with, especially kind of considering the circumstances they're dealing with, um, you know, with no one even being on campus right now. The fact that they've got guys that understand what it takes to succeed at this level. So um, that being said, uh, they could potentially be, you know, depending on who's eligible and who's not, 11 deep this year with their rotation and that is a luxury obviously in many different ways um, I know a lot of people this past week were asking about projected starting five and I guess if I had to guess right now assuming uh, that some waivers are, are granted by the NCAA I'd go Delano Banton um, Kobe King Trey McGowan's Teddy Allen and Lat Mayen but that five could fluctuate from a game-to-game basis depending on the opponent, and that's because they actually have pieces to work with to where you know, if there's a you know, big lineup disadvantage, they can move some pieces around and you know be just fine. So that is another difference in this roster compared to especially last year where there's actually some depth there. So the big thing now is getting these guys, most of which uh, – <laughs> not only have never met each other, but there's some guys that have never even been to Lincoln, Nebraska that are on this roster. And so uh, getting them not only on campus and adjusted to life in Lincoln, but becoming a team, especially just not knowing what the offseason schedule is going to look like, what they're going to be able to do, because there's only so much you can do working out at home and playing, you know, drill work in your driveway and doing zoom meetings with your team that's probably the next big hurdle for nebraska is getting this talent that they've assembled all off season and making it into a unified team yeah last year you know we joked it was a good year to have the italy trip this would have been the better year but they would not have been able to go i mean yeah, there's there's no, no so way. so all those trips obviously will, will be canceled but robin my other question now is recruiting aau basketball you know as we have learned over the years it's big in april may and july um, i mean those are some of the bigger months um, where all the coaches go out, all the recruits um, get seen. Well, we're not going to have any of that this year. We know that the recruiting is shut down. Um, do you know what's the contingency plan for AAU basketball going forward? Well, right now, obviously, with the recruiting dead period being instituted through June 30th, uh, that really limits the window for those types of events to normally happen. They, they've already lost all the spring and you know, June was supposed to be kind of a dead month anyway, but July, that's the big month where, uh, you know, you have the big peach jam event and, you know, the uh, different shoe company, uh, major tournaments where, I mean, that's when, you know, the, the, the final finishing touches were put on, uh, you know, the highest profile players that I don't know if it's going to happen at this point. Um, you know, there's some people, uh, well-connected in the basketball world that think that, uh, dead period might be pushed all the way through July. And if that happens, I mean, that eliminates the entire traditional AAU calendar year. And for Nebraska, that doesn't necessarily hurt all that much because of how much they utilize the transfer portal and with the looming, um, you know, one-time transfer rule that will inevitably be put into place, you know, Nebraska doesn't necessarily need to rely or evaluate the high school market the way other schools do. Uh, so, you know, they're not as affected by this, but where, you know, as far as the lo- to localize this thing, where this thing really hurts is 
in-state prospects that would potentially get multiple power five offers or division one offers uh, by the end of the, the AAU season that they're just not getting the opportunity to get. Like for instance, Jason Green, uh, the 2022 forward from Millard North, uh, he has one uh, power five offer and that's from Nebraska. Had he been able to play on a normal calendar, he would have had numerous. I know that there's multiple high major schools that have been looking at him. They just haven't got a chance to see him yet. So his offer list is still at one offer and that's just because teams haven't been able to see him and you know Isaac Trout from Grand Island uh, another 2022 recruit he would have been in the same boat and so there's guys like that that you really feel for that under normal circumstances would have been much higher profile recruits that just aren't getting a chance to be seen the way they normally would and until the the groups of people that can be in a room is lifted to over 50 i mean it, it will be yeah. next to impossible to have those any, aau tournaments guys are just packed that's like the benches all around the court because they're not in arenas they're they're in they're in like seven to eight court like multiplexes that everybody's just mingling around and you know there's a lot of you know conversations and stuff that go on after the game and you know lots of high fives and all that stuff so i mean it's it's uh yeah, the idea of them having that type of event, it, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I think what you might see is them try to do some smaller scale events where, I mean, it might just be coaches uh, only. Yeah, the best of the best coaches only uh, being able to participate in these smaller mini tournaments uh, to where at least kids can have an opportunity to play in front of coaches. So um, hopefully they get at least something uh, and maybe some some more opportunities that uh, you know these kids really need to really maximize their their recruiting potential. Or they'll have to up the streaming. I mean they'll have to they'll have to provide really really good footage and streaming of these events. But still you want to be there in person. Yeah. I mean, I mean college coaches are going to have to adjust. I mean this mentality that we're not going to offer until I see you. That's how Nebraska was under Tim Miles. I mean they would give like conditional offers from assistant coaches, but there would not be an official Nebraska offer until Tim Miles saw the, saw the player. And I think that hurt him in a lot of respects, but uh, guys like that with that mentality are going to have to adjust to where, you know, you just kind of trust your gut and what you see on film and uh, make a decision whether or not an offer, whether or not. All right, let's talk schedule. Um, what do we know for the non-conference side of things for Nebraska when it comes to the Gavitt games, the ACC challenge, um, and then obviously um, their holiday tournaments. What, what do you, what can you share right now? Well, what we know uh, right now is that they have the Myrtle beach uh, invitational out in Myrtle beach, South Carolina. Uh, that's uh, November 19th through the 22nd. And uh, you know, there's a, several teams, I guess, Missouri's in that Pittsburgh's in that Utah state Dayton. Uh, so some, we'll see kind of what the bracket looks like as to who Nebraska would play. But that's uh, the big one we know of, um, some kind of buy games that they've been able to add are Cleveland State, which normally wouldn't be all that appealing, but Cleveland State is coached by Dennis Gates, who is the brother of Nebraska assistant Armand Gates. So there's a little family tie there. Uh, they got a game against uh, IPFW or Purdue-Fort Wayne, whatever they're called now, uh, and then UMKC, Missouri-Kansas City. Uh, and then obviously the game in Kansas City uh, against Kansas State, and then uh, the Big Ten ACC Challenge, and the opponents haven't been set for that yet. So that one's still two to be determined. But with the Gavit games, which is kind of the Big Ten Big East series, uh, it's expected that Nebraska is going to be left out of that uh, again, which I think that's at least the second time. And you know, well, there's last, ten last now. Is it UConn in the East Big East this year? Yes. There, so there's eleven Big East teams, and there's yes. fourteen Big Ten teams. Yeah. So the, there's always Big Ten teams that are left out, but I think Nebraska is going to be left out again. So I'm curious to see what they do with that game that they they probably thought they were going to have. Uh, do they just throw another buy game in there or do they go out and try to do a, another home and home with uh, a power five school that might be close that maybe they could do a neutral site game or, or there's a lot of options, but they've already scheduled relatively tough, much tougher than they did last year. And so with a team that you know, has all these question marks about just familiarizing themselves with each other, do you want to take on too much and set yourself up for some early struggles? And they get Creighton every year. So they technically get a big That's East true. opponent. They so. have an annual Gavit game built in. You know, but like Wisconsin plays Marquette, um, Z Xavier plays Ohio State, don't they usually every year? I believe so. So, I mean, you see a lot of normal Big East. I'm sure I think Rutgers plays um, Seton Hall mm -hmm. every year um, in, in games uh, back and forth. Georgetown and Maryland play a lot. So, yeah, there is already a lot of crossover. Uh, I'll be curious if they finally get a home game in the ACC Challenge, Robin. They've gone yeah, two in two a row. Straight. 
that's so, the second time since they've been included in that series. I guess since that series has been around that Nebraska's played back-to-back road games. So, and it's always a, a game against an old football rival. So let's relive the old Orange yeah. Bowl. Did, did Nebraska play this school in the Orange Bowl back in the the eighties? Then Nebraska basketball will play them in the Big Ten they ACC Challenge. Clemson, Florida State, and Miami, like in every yeah, single one of those, with with some random, you know, Georgia Tech, Wake been, Forest, and Georgia yeah. Tech, and Wake Forest. Yeah. Are those been the only five? Uh, I can't remember if they played Boston College or not, but I, I do believe that that's that's it because they played Clemson twice. Uh, oh, they played Virginia Tech one year too, and Virginia Tech beat them. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Nebraska actually has done pretty well in that series historically, not not so much recently. All right. Well, when we come back, uh, I've got a special guest joining us: new Nebraska kicker edition. Connor Culp, the LSU graduate transfer, will join us next. Here, you're listening to the Oscar Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan here. As I told you before the break, uh, we're going to be joined here by a very special guest, uh, one of the newest and latest additions here to the Nebraska football team, former LSU kicker Connor Culp. Uh, Connor, first of all, congratulations uh, on your decision here um, to, to transfer to Nebraska. I know you're coming off a national championship season um, as a part of it with LSU. Uh, so uh, congrats here and, and welcome to Nebraska. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on on there. Well, yeah, I mean, let, let's let's delve into it. I mean, you, you look at your career at LSU. Um, I mean, there were some very, very talented kickers um, that you played behind, you played with. Um, you had the chance to start in 2017. Um, just talk about your experience at LSU, you know, what, what you gained from that and, and how you'll use that now here going forward to Nebraska. Uh, I definitely learned a ton uh, while I was there. Like you said, I was fortunate to uh, kick with a lot of very reputable kickers who had extremely good seasons and learned a lot from them, but most of all learned a lot about myself and um what i'm capable of and how to how to handle adversity whenever it hits and um to just keep keep moving on and keep going so we're joined here by uh, new nebraska kicker connor culp and you know connor your f- true freshman year you played with cody delahousse um, at LSU as, as he kicked. And, you know, that, that obviously touches a lot of Nebraska fans because he was involved uh, on that night with Sam Fultz. I mean, did you know much about Nebraska, about Sam Fultz? Um, obviously, all your time with the Chris Saylor uh, kicking camps and things. I mean, how, how familiar were you with Nebraska and Sam Fultz and, and the kicker-punter tradition here? Um, you know, to be, to be honest, before um, I've heard of Sam, he was an exceptional punter. Um, and it wasn't until, um, unfortunately the accident happened, um, where I learned a lot more about Nebraska and, and Sam based off of, uh, Colby. And, um, I mean, it, it sent a shock through kind of the whole kicking community and what, what Nebraska did. Um, first punt of the year uh, to honor Sam was just really awesome, and I'm I'm so fortunate and blessed to be able to be a part of that that culture and family, and just try and live live up to what Sam's expectations would be uh, of me. We're joined here by Connor Culp. Connor, walk us through um, the end of the season for you. Obviously, you win the national championship in January. You put your name in the transfer portal at that point. What was your thought process then, and when did you first hear from Nebraska um, about coming to Lincoln? So, all the way up until the last snap of the game, my my focus was with LSU and doing whatever I could to win a national championship and. Uh, thereafter um, was whenever I started looking at uh, schools and trying to reach out to some who I thought would need a kicker for this next year, possibly taking a grad transfer. And um, it wasn't until uh, March where Coach Rutt 
uh, the special teams coach reached out to me and um, explained to me the situation they had last year. And um, I've been kind of silently committed since uh, early April. Um, But I just thought it was an opportunity that was, I couldn't pass up, you know, being able to check out a school like Nebraska is just a blessing in of itself. And I, I couldn't be more excited to get out there. Yeah, I'm curious on your approach there to keep it silent. You know, in the world that we live in now, everyone's so quick to tweet out news and Instagram it or whatever. Uh, obviously, you kept this pretty quiet. Uh, what was behind your thought process of just trying to keep this under wraps for really, it sounds like, since March? You know, I'm I'm not huge on on social media. Um, I'm, I'm not really one to seek attention from others and, you know, I, I guess I don't really need or have the urge to tell everyone what what I'm doing. It's just me, and then next thing I think about is what do I need to get done to perform the best. So, um, little little different, but it's just my take on on doing things. Connor, uh, when when you when you look at the situation at Nebraska right now. What ha- what has Jonathan Rutledge told you, and, and kind of what are your expectations? Obviously, there's you know other kickers that are here on campus too that will compete. But I mean, do you have an idea of what you're walking into, and are kickoffs as well something that you're hoping to get a chance to do as uh, this season? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my heard about the kicking situation, but all all I'm really focused on is getting myself prepared for camp and starting to compete and do everything I can that's in my control to uh, to the best of my abilities. And, um, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to do both kickoffs and, and field goals, that would be great. But um, still got to earn the starting position. And they're bringing in a punter now, too, from Australia, Daniel Cherney. Uh, I'm curious, in just your time in college football and the punting, kicking world, what do you know about these Aussie punters? I mean, they've they've taken over the game. I mean, there's been five Ray Guy Award winners from Australia since 2007. Um, and just your time in the kicker-punter community, um, what's unique and different about these Australian rules football guys that come over to punt? Well, I was actually around two of them at LSU, and um, they are extremely hardworking, and they they could rival anyone's worth ethic and leg strength in the country. Um, both Jamie Keene, who punted at LSU, then also Josh Groudon, they just have almost like punting's their, their second sense just because in Australian rules football that they're basically just punting the ball around across the field. So they're they're very efficient and good at what they do. Well, Connor, uh, are you planning then? Uh, when do you plan to get up to Lincoln here to Nebraska? Uh, early June to late, or early uh, July to late June. Well, hey, congratulations again, Connor. Uh, we're looking, we're looking forward to seeing you here at Nebraska and uh, getting a chance to win that starting kicker job here for the two, uh, 2020 season. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. All right, much more to come here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus bringing in Husker Online's Allie Snow. Uh, joining us here now with the weekly mailbag. Allie, what do you have this week to start us off in the mailbag? First question is a basketball question. Is there a future NBA player on next year's Nebraska ball roster? Nebraska's coaches think so. Um, for sure, uh, Delano Banton's probably at the top of the list. I mean, being a 6'8 guy that can be a point guard, um, that is very appealing at the next level has been the, the era of positionless basketball. So, I mean, he's won, but I mean, you got a guy like Trey McGowan's who's a former four-star top 100 player who started you know, almost every game of his first two years at Pitt. Uh, I mean, he's going to be a factor. Uh, you know, Teddy Allen. I mean, he's a guy that a lot of people think if he didn't have the, um, you know, issues he had personally over the last few years, he could be a pro by now. Uh, and so, 
yes, I think there's at least one, maybe not a couple, depending on how things go. And you know, with Fred Hoiberg's track record, I would certainly not rule it out. All right. From who you have talked to or what you know, do you feel like Frost and the staff are approaching this season differently than his first two? Uh, I just think this whole season in general is different. I mean, without really knowing the parameters of what it's going to look like and when you'll start. But I do think they have a better idea of the conference, the type of players you need to have in this conference to win. And I, I do think now they have two full recruiting classes on campus that they truly recruited, the 19 and the 20 classes. So, yeah, I, I think it's turning over for the good. You're starting to see that length they've added show up on the offensive line and the secondary. Um, the news on Xavier Betts qualifying was huge last week. Um, Omar Manning looks to be on track to get here as well. So you're going to see a much bigger physical wide receiver group. So I do think this team – you know, had some holes that showed up big last year, and and they've really done a good job in in addressing that here in year three. Yeah, I think just the influx of competition at you know pivotal positions is definitely a new approach to where uh, there's nothing going to be handed to anybody, and that includes the quarterback position to where uh, you know there's going to be competition across the board, and I think they realize they have to do that. Um, obviously, they focused a lot of attention on special teams, uh, but bringing in guys that are going to be battling at literally every position, that's kind of the old saying that competition breeds uh you know championships and hopefully uh you know some of the areas where they've been struggling by having multiple players that are not only um, competing for the job but are talented enough to make you a better team uh, that is kind of in theory the the optimal strategy going into a season well they definitely approached the off season differently i mean this is the first time scott frost has ever had to to uh, make changes or let somebody go or, you know, however you, however you want to word it, um, you know, he, he made changes on the staff. And so, um, you know, and, and I think that they, you know, from talking when, when we had a chance to talk with the staff, I mean, um, they made it pretty clear that they went back and, and reviewed what they were doing and how they were doing it. And, um, you know, they were taking a, a long, hard look at all of that stuff. And so, um, you know, I, I think when you make changes in the off season, especially with your coaching staff, um, it kind of speaks to you uh, saying, "Well, maybe we've got to we've got to do something different here, so we have a different outcome in the fall." Omar Manning, when does he make it to Lincoln? Well, he's got to finish his classes. Um, you know, I know Nebraska had him enrolled in multiple different junior colleges online because his current JUCO he was at didn't offer that class online that he needed. Um, but you know, I, I know they have him on a path and, um, he's got to finish with a 2.5 GPA, uh, to be eligible at the division one level. I know division two, you have to have a 2.4. So they've, they've really tightened those requirements for junior college guys. It used to be basically just get your associate's degree. GPA wasn't as big of a parameter. Um, but yeah, they have him on a path to get here. Um, I don't know if Nate can add any more to that, but, um, I, I know they believe that he'll be here. Um, you know, once those classes are done. Yeah. It may not be until later in June from what I understand, uh, or maybe even early July, uh, until he's physically on campus. But, um, like Sean said, they, I know Nebraska is very confident that you know, regardless of when the, you know, he actually steps foot on campus, that he will be here uh, at, at some point. And, and that's, that's a big win. You know, uh, you know we mentioned earlier that you know, getting Xavier Betts qualified was huge and, and getting Omar Manning to join that, uh, that wide receiver room, especially with what the, the class that they just signed, I mean, that's, that is massive, you know, <laughs> given the lack of depth at that position. And Nate, just through your experience of Juco, the guys that have to, you know, that don't get here in December that you're kind of waiting on, it's usually more the case that it's not right away in June. Usually it's kind of June, late June, early July. Rarely do you see a, a JUCO guy arrive on June 1 with like the, the full newcomers um, because they usually are trying to finish up something. Yeah, I mean, if they're not here on June 1st or right when the, the summer you know, workouts and summer classes start, it's usually going to be late June or, or even mid-July. Um you know, I, there's been a lot of guys over the years that the junior college guys in particular that have had to uh, take multiple classes. It used to be the BYU online classes where were the kind of the go 
to meant uh, for people on their Mormon missions. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, the, that was the that was kind of the secret sauce to getting JUCO guys qualified uh, back in the day. Uh, especially like Maurice Purify comes to mind. Uh, same type of situation though. They don't necessarily have that right now, but um, yeah, Manning will be here. Uh, it's just uh, probably not going to happen until later on in June. And for reference, Randy Gregory didn't show up until two or three days before fall camp. Yep. He led the Big Ten in sacks that year. Levante David, same thing. He didn't show up until fan photo day essentially and he was one of the leaders in the conference and tackles so um guys have if you're if you're a dude you're a dude and we've seen juco guys show up as late as the first day and 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 have all big 10 level years not saying manning's gonna have that kind of year but i mean there's high hopes uh going into next season do you feel with luke mccaffrey practicing with his brothers and father could give him advantage over martinez during this quarantine period i i i have a heart i mean no i mean i don't know I mean, sure, it's a great thing to have that resource um, with your brothers and your dad training you and working out. Um, but running the offense and practicing with your teammates is still, to me, the most important thing. Yeah, I don't know. if Outside of being able to throw passes to an all-pro running back and a retired NFL wide receiver, I mean, sure, I guess that's, that's cool. But uh, as far as how he's going to uh, prepare for Nebraska's offense and potentially pushing for playing time, uh, that uh, I don't think has really any correlation. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to hurt him working out with. Uh, it's with than being alone in your garage exactly. or something like that. I mean, to, to have that, it, it, and they're competitive. I mean, they're all they're all competing against one another and everything. And um, you know, I'm sure that that Luke and Dylan, who is going to probably be the starter at Michigan, or uh, maybe picking each other's brains here and there. But um, I mean, it's there. There could be worse situations to be in, but I don't know if it necessarily is giving him a, a huge leg up on Adrian. Is his brother the front runner to be the starter at Michigan this yes. year? So yeah. that that'll be a pretty cool story. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look at it. You've got Christian McCaffrey, um, and then possibly two, you know, two Big Ten starting Big Ten quarterbacks. quarterbacks um, you know, and then Max was in the NFL and kind of bounced around. I think he even was in the the XFL. Uh, just this past spring, so I mean, you got four, you got four pretty, pretty talented guys, and then oh yeah, their their, their dad is yeah. is not know, bad, Ed. Yeah, not bad. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they're all kind of working. I mean, it could be a worse situation, but I, I don't know if it's like going to be the secret sauce to him getting <laughs> winning the job this fall. All right, we got two time for two more, Allie. All right, can you compare the upsides of each of the quarterbacks at NU? Would love to hear what makes each unique from mental makeup, arm strength, accuracy. Oh God, this might be our last question. This is a long way. It's going to take a while. I mean, I, I, Martinez has got the advantage is with his experience, his physical size. Um, you know, he's obviously had his ups and downs, but th there's a lot there. McCaffrey, as we know, is maybe one of the fastest quarterbacks Nebraska's ever had. He's very phys He's very mature mentally. Um, Logan Smothers, we just don't know enough about him yet at this point, what he's going to bring to the table. Um, but everything he showed in high school showed that he is very fast, has a live arm, he's a coach's kid. Um, they all kind of fit the makeup uh, that Mario Verduzco is looking for and Scott Frost is looking for with that position. I think Adrian has everything that they want except for the fact that he's now injury prone. Uh, will he be able to stay healthy I think is the ultimate determining factor as to what that position looks like this year. Um, with Luke McCaffrey, uh, talent, uh, an abundance of it and potential, but he's just unproven. He just hasn't had the opportunity yet. So, um, you know, I don't know enough about Smothers, but I think that uh, all those guys, like you said, Sean, fit what they want the quarterback position to be in this offense. And um, right now, Adrian's the front runner, but um, that could be temporary if he's not able to stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, I think Adrian, Adrian's kind of the guy, if you drew up a quarterback to, to you know operate in the system, he was that guy. But now he's he has been a little injury prone, uh, maybe made some poor decisions this, uh, this past season, um, you know, for a variety of different reasons. I know that Luke McCaffrey, they've said that he's probably the most competitive quarterback that they've had, uh, that they kind of have to put the – Put the rain, you know, rain him back in, and, and um, tell him to calm down sometimes because all he wants to do is watch film and uh, and compete and do this and that. I, I think that Logan Smothers is is maybe a little bit of a combination of the two. I think he's uh, a little bit more polished uh, as far as mechanics go that, than Luke was coming in, and, and you know uh, maybe a little bit more uh, athletic, uh, faster than Adrian, but uh, you know has a lot of the same qualities there too. So uh, bottom line is they're they're all pretty pretty good quarterbacks. So they've got a lot to work. With. All right, final question, Allie. Did the last dance live up to the hype? Yes. Um, 
I, I was kind of like, man, they're really blowing this thing up. And, you know, there was very few things that I've watched 10 things in a row like that on 10 Sunday nights or five Sunday nights over five weeks. Um, but the biggest thing growing up in the 90s, I was born in 1980. Um, so that was like right in my wheelhouse. And it just brought back so many memories of what we saw. And I, I truly believe the NBA was a better product back then uh, because the star power was better and there, there was a level of class um, and professionalism that those stars carried themselves with that really gave the NBA just, you know, it's biggest stage. I mean, there's so many people um, would get home on Sunday from church and you would watch the double header or triple header every Sunday uh, because you wanted to watch those guys on TV and Michael Jordan meant that much to the game. And it was before Twitter and before social media and all these things. And he was able to elevate his brand, which just tells you, you know, how powerful he was considering he didn't have all the resources people have today. There was a aura of mystery around guys back then because we didn't know their personal lives. Like we know every single thing about LeBron James and criticize everything that he does. If Twitter was around when Michael Jordan was around, he would not be the star that he is today. Cause as we saw, Jordan can be uh, prickly to say the least. And, you know, what's funny when you watch that, you got to keep in mind that he had like total control over what they aired. And uh, so things that he didn't want included there in there, you know, I'm sure they could have gone a little bit deeper into his uh, closet full of skeletons had it been, you know, completely objective perspective. But that being said, from an entertainment standpoint, it was everything that I hoped it would be. Yeah, totally entertaining. And, um, you know, I, I agree. It totally brought me back to my, my childhood. I mean, um, you know, not that I doubted how good Michael Jordan was, but it was a good reminder. Like, wow, he was just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, because after you, after you don't see something for a long time, you, you know, it kind of fades a little bit, but, um, it was interesting to me, uh, just how much kind of control he, he had, he elevated the NBA so much, um, as far as making it popular around the globe. Uh, that was that was one big takeaway I had, and the other too was uh, he's probably lucky that social media wasn't around back then because can you imagine people getting getting pictures of him playing cards in the casinos and, and things like that, or or on a golf course gambling or whatever? Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it was probably good that that uh, um, you know he he had his moment in the in the sun then rather than now. How about Gus and Waz, the two guards? Yeah. Those guys were awesome. Like his and they they both uh, have passed away over the years but just like the backstory of like those security guards and I guess Waz's daughter she's released some pictures that people mm -hmm. have posted of him and um, you know just all these little things that you didn't know uh, about Mike now Allie you're a youngster yeah. <laughs> did that did did it do much for you? Well, okay, I'm weird, but I'm like obsessed with '90s culture and like the basketball era, the clothes, the it music. Awesome. So I loved it. Um, but I know a lot of my generation is still like Team LeBron. Like he's way better than Michael Jordan. But I loved the documentary, and like I think it, I think it was like perfect timing because like my generation and the older generation all like got to see this, and it kind of gave a different perspective. But I I loved it so. Well, it gave us something too when there's really yeah, not much yeah. on and keeping our fingers Could, couldn't crossed. Couldn't ask for a better stage to uh, when you're the literally only thing in sports happening. Uh, it's pretty well, good. They kind of rushed the, the end they, of it. They too. bumped it up yeah, too, yeah. To, to get it uh, or release it or whatever when they did. Five to six million people watched each one of the 10 episodes crazy. on cable. So yeah, that is crazy. All right, when we come back, we're going to close the show. We'll talk some recruiting with Nate Klaus. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, talking recruiting now. And before we get to that, the segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by our friends at Kugler Vision, elective surgeries Nate have picked back up here in the last few weeks. Tell us the latest news coming out of Kugler Vision. Yeah, Kugler Vision is back open. Um, so, I mean, there's no better time now than now to go ahead and, and uh, get the Kugler Vision, let them help you. 
um, you know, correct your vision problems. They're, they've got seven different surgeries uh, that, you know, depending on, on what your your uh, issue is as far as your vision goes, that they can help you with. And, and the best part about it right now is they've made it to where it's virtually uh, hands-free. Uh, you can go in, get your consultation. There's no, there's no touching or anything like that. And you can even have the consultation with the doctors, um, you know, uh, via telephone, via uh, Skype or, or whatever it is. So, uh, I mean, it's totally safe. There's no better time to, to get to Cooler Division than right now. All right, Nate, let's talk recruiting. After we taped last week's show, uh, the NCAA extended the recruiting dead period through the month of June, uh, further putting the death nail into camps, June official visits. Um, and we already know July is a scheduled dead period um, until the last week of July. I think it's like the 22nd of July is when things open back up. So, there technically could still be a window in July to at least have camps, but you can't have official visits again now until, um, what, Labor Day weekend. Yeah, September 1st of your senior year. So, uh, I mean, it's – yeah, it's – it's, it's crazy. Um, and I know there's a lot of recruits that were really, really disappointed by that news because they were, they had, a lot of guys had official visits on the books for the month of June. Um, you know, and typically since they've, you know, since the NCAA has allowed recruits to start taking those official visits early, uh, June has always been the biggest month and, uh, you know, which makes sense with school being out and everything. And, um, you know, and a lot of kids traveling for camps and, and whatnot as well. But, um, you know, now that that's unable to happen, I mean, they, they've, this whole deal is, is really taking um, all visits off the books, all every opportunity to, to take official visits off the books, uh, because that would have been from April 1st through the end of June. Um, you know, and, and I know a lot of guys are, are pretty upset by that because they wanted to make a decision before their senior year. They wanted to take their visits in the summer, uh, have all the information they needed to have to, to make an informed decision. And, um, and now they, they can't do that. And so they're faced with the um, kind of the, the dilemma of, okay, do I commit to somewhere that I've never visited before? Uh, even, you know, I may feel comfortable with our coaches and, and everything, but I've never stepped foot on their campus and maybe even have never been to that state before. Um, or do I go ahead and wait and risk that school filling up at my position? Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, Marcus and Bo, who's an offensive lineman out of Wisconsin, he's one of the kids that I've talked with here recently that is really, really torn by that. Uh, in fact, he told me, he said, I wish the NCAA would go ahead and make a rule to where prospects couldn't commit to anybody right now. Uh, Which they couldn't. Yeah, obviously. they could never do that. But but he said it's just not fair to a guy like myself who has a couple different schools that I really want to check out for myself because I've never been there before. Uh, but they may fill up and not have a spot for me uh, because there's all these other recruits out there that are committing. And a lot of them are committing just to, to hold a spot. Um, and so you kind of, you know, your heart goes out to some guys like that, but, uh, it's totally unprecedented and, and, um, and it's, it is going to make for a wacky, uh, recruiting cycle. That's for sure. Recruiting needs basically become like trying to make dinner reservations on new year's Eve. Yeah. You, you don't know where you're going to go, but shoot, we better get a spot in a restaurant somewhere. Cause we have to have dinner and have a table and, yeah. and there's only so many seats available in Lincoln that we can have a dinner reservation. So we better put one in here, even though I don't really want to go here. I don't even know what's on the menu, yep. but let's get a seat. And, and, and I feel like that's recruiting right now. Yeah, it totally is. And, and so, and you, you know, a lot of these guys are they're rolling the dice with with making a decision, um, you know, and, and, and committing to, to places that they haven't seen before. And, um, and, and the same goes for coaches, too. I mean, this this, you know, we're, we're painting the picture that it's all, you know, hard luck on the on the recruits. But it's tough on the coaches, too, because they're not able to, to be out on the road and, and seeing these kids in, in person and. Um, you know, you have to rely on your ability to evaluate film. And I think there's going to be a lot more misses this year than maybe what we've seen in the past, um, you know, because there's a big difference between watching a, a kid on film and then being able to, to go to their school and watch them work out or watch them go through practice and, and verify, OK, yeah, that's that's exactly what I thought I saw on film. And the size checks out and, and uh, you know, the, the growth potential is there and, and so on and so forth. And um, they can't do that now. And so if they're making an offer without having seen that that player in person, 
um, it is a little bit more of a, a risky offer or a little bit more of a, a roll of the dice. And there have been plenty of those offers made. So, um, you know, and, and also you, you get to know a kid a lot better, I think, uh, once you're able to get them and their family on campus and, and kind of add that part of, of the recruiting process too. So um, it is, it's totally unique uh, situation. And, um, and I don't know, you know, from everything that I've heard and, and people that I've talked with, uh, the, they're not very optimistic that anything's going to open up throughout the rest of the summer, that the recruiting calendar is not going to be adjusted. And it, it likely will mean that visits, um, you know, may not happen until the fall. And, and even then, it's still kind of up in the air. It, so it's it's interesting. And Nate, the St. Louis Mega Camp, for example, they've obviously yeah. moved theirs, and they're just maybe holding out hope that the last weekend in July, which would be still there's one week I believe in July you can have camps um, that maybe that you'd be able to have events then, and they could become some sort of mega hub for everybody. But I, I think that's a pipe dream right now. Yeah, it is, and and they and I think they kind of know it is, but they're taking. They're taking a, a, a shot at it, and I know that they even have an insurance company um, to where, you know, if the, these prospects are go ahead and they're registering for that camp already, getting getting saving their spot essentially uh, and, and paying that money, um, I know that you can buy uh, like a, a, a COVID waiver. Yeah, basically it's like a 10, I think it's like a 10 bucks or $15 insurance policy uh, that, you know, if the camp does get canceled that you, you get all of your your uh, money if, back if you were sick or you could not travel because of covid no if the camp gets canceled because of of covid um or if it doesn't happen and you've already prepaid then uh, i think this insurance means that oh, you get all of your money back. i thought it was only if you were sick because no if it doesn't happen you get refunded they're not yeah. gonna they're not gonna keep people's money if they don't have a camp they can't do that yeah i don't i don't know maybe it is if you i wrote that in my tunnel I, talk okay. um, um it, w- it was a medical deal where like if you couldn't go because you got covid or covid prevented you from oh, going okay. and the camp did happen you would get your money back if you took this insurance. I see. But if the camp gets canceled, they will refund everybody. Yeah. I mean, you you would just be. I mean, if you had over a thousand people and you kept their money without a camp, yeah, it'd be a bad look. Uh, there probably wouldn't be a mega camp the next year. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's 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 crazy. Um, I, I don't think that that's going to happen. I'd be shocked if it did. Um, if it did, though, I mean, that would be like. It would be the, the hub. Yeah, it would be the hub. You'd have every every coach, every college coach in, in America probably. Well, that'd be thousands of people there, which I don't see how we'd be yeah. at that point, even in July. Yeah. Um, we might be at that point. And that's one. the last thing I wanted to ask, Nate. If, if fans are restricted, limited this season, and you're allowed still to have official visitors for games, that puts Nebraska in an interesting spot because their big selling point is the fans, is the weekend in Lincoln. And now you don't have that. Um, so – as they build forward, I mean, they still have really no choice to bring in visitors um, in the fall, even if there will be limits or no crowds. Yeah, I, I think that um, it's going to be uh, interesting how they handle that. Uh, and obviously it's going to be case-by-case basis, and, and a lot of it will depend on when that prospect is is hoping to have a decision by. You know, if they're if they're wanting to commit before, um, you know, before the end of the season and, and sign early in December, then yeah, it might make sense to bring them in, even though arguably your your biggest or one of your biggest selling points, which is the, the game day atmosphere and the fan base and so on and so forth, you know, they won't be able to experience that. Um, you know, you, you got to take a shot and, and get them on campus when you can. But you know, I've, I think we're going to see a lot more kids kind of waiting maybe longer, uh, you know, maybe the more traditional signing day in February. And for those players, you know, it, it maybe it may make sense to, to go ahead and try to get one of their last official visits because, you know what, uh, they're not going to be able to come in and, and experience all the, the – um, the pop and circumstance uh, that surrounds the the uh, the game days and, and uh, the fan base and everything. So uh, it may make more sense to just go ahead and wait and try to get one of those last visits before they go ahead and do something in February. Well, plenty to follow as with the recruiting now. You just don't know when it's going to break and when it's going to happen. So make sure you're on Husker Online as Nate, Mike, Brian, the entire recruiting team uh, will keep you up to date with the latest information. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.